Welcome to The Futurist with your hosts, Ben Rohde and Alex Lightman. Each week, we feature a specific aspect of our collective future with action steps you can take to make your own future better and brighter. Our guest experts are top futurists in their field who will remind you that anything is possible. Give us 90 minutes and we'll give you the future. Yay, we got our new intro. We got it figured out and Alex is on the show. Welcome, Alex. Welcome, Ben. Hello. You made it. Oh, man, that was that was like last second, brother. Good to feel like Indiana Jones sliding in. <laughs> I, was on, I was on two conference calls, each with people in three different countries. So I talked to people in uh, five other countries besides the U.S. this morning, for what it's worth. Wow. Cool. So making um, history you, in you real time. I've, I've talked to three including the songwriter, the songwriter of the the Barry Manilow song "Can't Smile Without You." I saw I was talking to him this morning. It's pretty funny. Are you serious? That's yeah, fun. seriously. That's cool. So I had a I had a conference call with with uh, three different countries as well. We had I talked really? to uh, yep I talked to uh, someone in the U.S. Oh, actually, it was David. David in the U.S. Stephen here in Costa Rica and. Um, Habib in Dubai <laughs> about uh, investing in, in Rise and um, yeah. So so h- tell me what, what were your countries like? Let's just see how international we were today. Uh, sure, Czech, uh, Czech Republic um, and England um, and uh, Malaysia and the um, and Dubai. So uh, which is not a country; it's part of the United Arab Emirates. But yeah, same same deal. That's cool. Wow, we did we did good today. Um, and yeah. so when we when we pull Mark Jeffrey on, we can ask him uh, how many countries he talked to today, and we'll see if we can pull it up to ten. <laughs> Great, <laughs> excellent. Um, cool. So I'm so, looking forward to the show today. Uh, Mark Jeffrey has been a friend of mine since the early '90s when he created something called the Palace and was active in the the new media scene in L.A. It's uh, while Silicon Valley, of course, is the premier uh, technology creation ecosystem in the world. Um, L.A. has actually been pretty uh, forward and uh, active in new media. There was a period of time, I don't know what the latest stats are, but that L.A. had um, more people working in new media um, and then the, the intersection between technology and media than any place else in the world. And Mark has very much uh, been an active innovator in that space for, for 20 years. So the, the topic of the show is the future of safety through social media. And we're going to talk to him about his, his general thoughts about it, about how you can be safer using social, social media, and also uh, about his experience sharing an office and working with Travis Kalanick, who is the CEO and founder of Uber. Uh, Uber has said it's going to have self-driving Uber vehicles. Uh, you know, of course, I don't want to say taxis because it's better than taxis, but within mm-hmm. a few weeks, tooling around Portland, and based on that, they're going to roll them out across the United States, and it might actually uh, either cost a, a million people their jobs or it might just expand Uber's market that much more and kill off the taxi business entirely because I can't see taxis getting together and becoming – 
self-driving car promoters overnight. I don't think that can happen. Wow. Yeah, the taxi business seems really old school all of a sudden, and I think that's why they've been so pissed off. So, yeah, I mean, either we're going to lose a, a million Uber jobs or, I mean, how many taxi drivers are there and how many – What? Like, I, this is all stuff I want to I want to hear from Mark too, and that was one of the concerns that somebody posted on your your link when you shared it was about the the jobs the jobs that are lost. So I'm wondering like where are the taxi people going to go? What are they going to do? And um, well, there I, I, there what, if you look at have you ever seen that state map that shows the number one job by number of people employed in that job across the United States, and the number one thing that it says on that map is truck driver. And there is uh, Steve Jurvetson is an extraordinary venture capitalist and very cool guy, uh, another person I've known for about 20 years. And he posted on his wall yesterday a company called Auto, OT.TO, that went from zero to $658 million, just bought by Uber, uh, $7.7 million, something like that, per employee, wow. per head, to do headhunting. And they're having these, uh, I, I guess, self-driving trucks. So the self-driving truck is going to be the single greatest job-destroying innovation in U.S. history. Nothing compares wow. to it in terms of the number of jobs that could be lost over a very short period of time. And if I were a coal miner, I'd be learning about how to do solar. And if I were a Absolutely. truck driver... I'd be learning how to program. I mean, there. Are, I know it sounds crazy, and you think, oh, well, people can't do that. But, um, you know, there's nothing that can stop this particular train from rolling across America. And unless you're a government employee, uh, you know, no one's job is safe. Right. And, you know, one thing that, that I've noticed, and I'm sure you all have noticed too, is anytime I've taken an Uber or a Lyft or, or a car where anybody can sign up and start driving – is they don't want to be drivers. Like that's, It's not their life purpose to drive. They're driving because they need money, and it's a quick way to make money. And so one thing that I've been thinking about is, is well, every single person that I've driven with, they're telling me their life story and about their dreams and what they want to be doing. And I don't know if that's just because I ask them or because this is just I, the I kind of conversations you're, you're, I have. I think it's because you ask them. I think it's because you care deeply about other human beings. Cool. Well, and, and, you know, thank you. And I'm sure that every, my experience has been that I haven't had one person that was like, yeah, no, I love, I love driving. This is what I want to do forever. Right. Um, so well, there's, I, there's so a, what, I, I think that you have a small sample space and I think that you drive yourself a lot. I, because I don't drive, I stopped driving four years ago. I might be taking Uber more than you. And yeah, I, sure, sure uh, I have a, a much bigger variety of people, including a person who is an elected official in Playa del Rey, uh, in uh, in California, you know, just south driving of, Uber? of Marina del. He, he was driving an Uber, and uh, and he <laughs> had fascinating stories, and he was doing it to sort of take the pulse of his constituents, and oh, also great. to get votes because he was saying, by the way, if you ever have a chance to vote for me, please do. So, oh, he, that's so cool. he does it and he does it to relax and because he's a politician because he is gregarious and loquacious and enjoys enjoys people thoroughly. It's very fun and he gives out his business card and he had all uh, my my friend who was writing 
in the car with us asked him, well, what do you do about the homeless? And he had a whole homeless story and about all the wow. cameras. And it was absolutely fascinating, but it, he was doing it as a form of government outreach. And he That's thought so that cool. all government officials should be driving Ubers so that they were in contact with real people who had real problems that government could positively or negatively impact. Right, and it's just it's being of service, right? It's putting yourself at a place of service to that was the people his, that, that was you're his, serving. That was his ethos. Yeah, that's correct, yes. That's amazing. Okay, so what I was saying is that, you know, in the, in the world of shamanism, as you know, in the dream world, you know, this, like living this life is a waking dream, everything happens for a reason. So if I'm looking at the reason, and, you know, this is just my dream, if I'm looking at the reason why a million Uber drivers are going to lose their job driving, then my brain tells me that this is the opportunity they've been looking for to start living their life purpose, right? To go out and, I mean, the, the last Uber driver I got, I spent a half hour with in the car in San Diego, and he was telling me about how he wants to start this, this technology company, actually, like technology and programming, and, and he was telling me all about it. It sounded really cool, and I was like, why don't you do it? And he's like, because my family says I'm crazy. My family says it's not going to work, right? And so I, I got to spend a half an hour with him, like, dude, just do it, right? And, and so I feel like this will be a huge push for people, you know, the ones that accept it. I think there are going to be a lot of people that fight about it and complain about it and resist it. But like you said, this is a train that isn't going to stop. This is where we're going. And, and you know, one of the things that Mark, talk, Mark Jeffrey talks about is that it's happening a lot sooner than we all thought it was going to, right? And, and this, is, you know, this is one thing that my wife and I talk about is time is speeding up or the illusion of time is speeding up. Where we're at a place right now where, and Alex, this is something you talk about too, is uh, what is it you say? Like the next 100 years of technology innovation is going to equal like the last 10,000 years? What's, what well, are the numbers? Yeah, it's thir it's thir there's going to be more change and transformation over the next 30 years than there were over the last 1,000. Uh, that's in the book that, uh, that I co-authored with Brett King, Augmented. That's in the book, and we, we make the case in the book for that. Yeah, yeah, it's happening, and so you know everyone's got to figure not as out much that where time do I is fit in. Speeding up. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if if we're looking at the the technological three D world, it's it's not so much time is speeding up, right? But if we look at the dream world, and even not so much technology, I mean, you've you've got the way that time is speeding up in the technology field, but then we've got the way that time is speeding up in, in my world, which isn't technology, right? It's consciousness and, and creation. And, and so it's like time is speeding up in our world too, where, where, where our manifestations, our creations are coming much faster than they used to. And the, the way that we're seeing our clients and the people that we're connected with being able to create as well, it's coming much faster than it used to. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I feel like in technology it's, it's happening because technology has been building on itself and building on itself and building on itself. And now there's this net of technology that's all integrated and works together. And it's, I feel like it's the same thing with consciousness. It's like everyone's been, you know, there's been all these pieces of consciousness that people have been learning and now finally it's all working together. And, you know, people are having all the pieces now. So the pieces that have been missing, they're able to um, use so tell me what you were going to uh, say. A friend of mine um, describes it in a, in a very interesting way. His name is Rave. Uh, he has a show that combines classical music and performance and yoga called Flow. 
and his whole goal in life is to be as much in flow state. So he says there's a, a yeah. in each incarnation there are somewhere between 3,000 and 6,000 truth bubbles you have to pop and have a have That's an epiphany. Cool. It's like ah, and that as you pop a bubble, it slightly accelerates your your perception and your flow state. It puts you more in flow Ooh. state. And so he says that his whole goal is to try to pop several truth bubbles and put himself more in flow with these realizations. I um, like that. I'm, I'm working on a drug protocol. It's called the Lightman Stargate uh, Protocol for uh, Addictive Disorders. And one of the I had a, a truth bubble yesterday that uh, was interesting. So there's, there's a debate right now going on. One of the more serious debates, especially in California, is whether to legalize marijuana. And so right. people are saying, well, it's a gateway drug. And someone posted uh, something I thought was that was I had an epiphany about it. He said it's a gateway drug, but not in the way people think. It's because it's illegal. And it, if you decide to do something, it may be the first thing that you're doing that is illegal. And therefore, you're on the other side of the law. And then if you see it actually isn't as bad or horrific as it's been made out to be, mm. you then become a skeptic of other laws, and so including drug laws. And in fact, I think that part of the problem is that the government overstates the danger of marijuana, and it right. understates the danger of heroin and cocaine and benzos and amphetamines and, and other things because they're truly addictive. Like I've spent time in the last few weeks in detox centers as people are detoxing and going off of drugs, and it's not a very pretty sight. And I think if people saw them, they would go, oh, so that's why I'm being warned. But ultimately, I think we have to differentiate between things that are truly dangerous to us and things that are simply illegal because people got together and and misuse their power and bought politicians and got them to put things on an illegal schedule so that it would seem more dangerous than it is. In other words, I think we should give honest signaling. That was the uh, honest signals is a book written by Sandy Pentland, who is the who was at one time the chief scientist of the MIT Media Lab. And ultimately, I think what you're experiencing as a speed up of time is a speed up of people to surround themselves with honest signaling. So they're getting real information, they're getting real data, real knowledge that's authentic and accurate more and more, and then it tends to make things seem like it's speeded up because you're, you're not bogged down with a bunch of, of BS and crap that isn't true that you have to wade through, which makes life seem so turgid and slow. Yeah, and that's actually what allows time to speed up, right, or the, our, our ability to use the time to speed up because – when you know before we had all the the internet and the the um, the access to social media and all the videos and the information, we didn't really know how our how we didn't get the external feedback of what our creation was doing, right? Or we we weren't able to touch as many people, and you know one of one of the measures of personal success. Is, is the external feedback, right? I mean, you could, sit, you could sit in your office all day long and never know if you're really successful um, I mean, or, or, or if you're insane, if you're just talking to yourself and thinking of your own, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you got stuff going through your head that you don't know is real or not. But when you take it out of the public, you get external feedback and information and, you know, collaboration. So every time you and I talk, it's like we get more information, right? 
and I learn new things every time I talk to you. And and uh, I mean, this, these are the people that we should all surround ourselves with, is the people that are going to help you pop truth bubbles <laughs> all day and uh, speed up our development. Well, speaking of that, what, what, what do you think about this extraordinary set of conversations around uh, Jason Ponton's uh, on, on My Wall? So Jason Ponton, oh my gosh, uh, some of you know, is the editor and publisher and has been for the last 10 years of MIT Technology Review. Uh, MIT Technology Review gets about 5 million visitors a month to its website. So it's, it's quite influential uh, in, in the Uber nerds, basically people with high IQ, good education, good jobs. And he is an extraordinary spokesperson for the, for the status quo. And wherever there's something which I would put into the category as, well, I don't know. Some people do, but they're not necessarily telling. Um, he, he, he's basically claiming there's no secrets. And he's claiming that there's no such thing as problems with fluoride in the water, no such thing as problems with vaccines. There's no such thing, and there never has been GMOs. and never will be problems with chemtrails. And it's, it's so fascinating to see somebody uh, who is uh, like so uh, willing to invest his reputation and everything else into that point of view when all it will take is just one bit of evidence for any of these things and I don't know where he will go with it. But, right. Well, um, and, and, and how much evidence have I posted on that thread, right? I mean, I've, I've posted evidence of everything on that thread. And, it's, you know, and then, like, the, the next comment he'll make on somebody else's comment is chemtrails are contrails. Like, that, that's it. It's like, I mean, he's a robot. It's, it's like he's an MIT robot. And but it's, you know what's, it's, what, what's funny, what's, what's hilarious about it is his original point that he tagged me in is, uh, so there's an article up saying at um, the New York Times trying to discredit chemtrails, and they said, we talked to 75 or 77 scientists. 77. Yeah, 77 scientists, and only one thought that they were possible. So therefore, they don't exist. And I'm going, well, yeah. Who, we, you talked to 75 scientists. First of all, there are about 9 million scientists. So where did you get these people? I mean, did you talk to 1,000 and you could only find 76 who agreed yeah, with you? And, I mean, and, and th that, that was my post. It was the government-sponsored scientists that, <laughs> you know, that they're, they're, getting, you know, they're getting their funding through the government. And, and, I mean, the other thing that article said was we showed them pictures of the chemtrails, and they said, no, those are probably not chemtrails. <laughs> like that's like using the word scientist and that a scientist had an opinion doesn't make it a scientific fact. Right. Yes. Well, what's amazing is that the New York Times would feel the need to use its resources and then that Jason would need to tag me just to go and bait me. And I'll take the bait. I, I rise to the bait. Uh, and, but, I, but I not only comment on his wall, but I put it on mine. And what was hilarious is over even though – probably over a hundred posts. I don't think he persuaded a single person who's on my wall uh, that no. you can just dismiss all these things. And it's, it's amazing that he would take the time to do it. So my question for you is why would he invest what probably amounted to six hours on my Facebook wall, trying to get people to not believe in chemtrails? Well, did you see the, did you see the picture I posted of the, that said, um, Wrestling a pig is a lot like arguing with a philosopher, 
after a couple <laughs> hours of wrestling uh, or of mud wrestling with a pig, right? For, he said after a couple hours, you realize the pig likes it, right? And and this is this is what I've this is what I've noticed with with Jason is that he literally like won't look at the points that I'm making in my in my comments. He won't even look at them. And so, you know, this is, it's like people got, have their finger in their ears saying, la, 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 la. And, you know, I get it because I used to be like that. I used to be totally scientific. And, and if science couldn't prove it, it doesn't exist. And, you know, I, everything I was doing was based on the, uh, the scientific method and, and medical journals and brain scans. And, and then I met my wife, right, who sees colors and sees guides and angels and beings and hears things that, you know, from dead people. And, you know, I thought she was totally insane until I spent some time with her and just watched the magic that would come out of that. And it would, it was, I mean, it was proven again and again and again through, um, you know, corroborative evidence and through other people's testimonies. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't not believe it anymore. And then stuff started coming out. Um, science, science started proving some of the stuff that we were talking about and it really let me know that wow, like people, like if somebody is 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 looking at science for answers, they are not futurists because they are literally only. Able I, I can't, to see I can't follow you there. I I can't go with you there. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Okay, you can so be a scientist and you can look to science for answers and be a futurist. That's of course you can. Okay, great. So. Um, there are scientists that, that, that and I, th- I think Jason is one of these, who if science hasn't proved it, it doesn't exist, right? So do, do you follow me there? Yes, but, there are, but scientists don't always agree with each other. Science is a discussion and a negotiation. It's not this monolithic thing. that It's, it's not like a religion that the Pope is the final decider on what is true or not. It, there's, a, there's a discussion that's ongoing all the time. And do you believe that do – you, do you agree with me that these scientists, some, that some agree with each other and some don't, are in separate factions that if, if – there, there are certain things in the scientific community that if it isn't agreed upon by a scientist in that community, then they'll be laughed out of the community? Uh, well, it depends on how much evidence they have and how much stature they have. So the the case of Richard Dawkins, or uh, exactly. who's gone full on anti anti Muslim or anti Islam, um, these are not the same things. I'm, and I, I I haven't looked into it so so clearly that I can tell you which it is. Or Stephen Hawking talking about the fact that when Stephen Hawking is talking about black holes, he still has people who disagree with him. But when he says humanity won't survive, or we should boycott Israel, or we should, you know, aliens, here's something about aliens, then he's not speaking um, as a scientist using scientific evidence. He's speaking as a person who has a certain stature and reputation as an author and as a public figure and as an icon, uh, and he's expressing his opinion, and it carries more weight than the average person. It's passed on by newspapers as being truth, though. But anybody who he is so he's coming from science and he is being a futurist. Anybody who says that the human race won't live past X number of years is is acting in the in the capacity of a futurist. It doesn't mean he's right, but okay, okay, a lot great. of these so things, then we could also 
we could also take this in the opposite direction where if a scientist is not using is is, is speaking their um their opinion about something in the opposite direction of i don't believe this but i'm a scientist but there's no scientific proof i mean we could also take that we could also take it that way right well, that's um, his opinion, and, the, and so I'm taking everything exactly. that Jason is saying. This doesn't exist, and he's and I keep on making a point which goes right over his head every time. Which is, for instance, he says, uh, he, he, "I we had debates about GMOs, genetically modified organisms," and he says, "Well, uh, buy fresh, buy GMOs is the cover of the of Technology Review magazine, which is in every." airport in the world. So everybody who walked into an airport magazine shop or news shop saw a cover that said buy fresh, buy GMO. Do you know what he said on Facebook was his motivation for making that cover in that article? Uh, just, to to annoy Al- just to annoy <laughs> Alex Lightman. So I, you know, if you wonder, like, why am I talking about it? Take you personally. It's like these Facebook conversations end up blowing up into the whole world. But when you look at what he's, they say in the article, it's not what he says and he claims. So he even has a different mode between what he claims when he's online and what the magazine is willing to do with the discussion of people. In real life, he claims that GMOs are always, have always been safe, are safe, and always will be safe. Like when you say GMOs are safe, what you are doing is you are taking on the negative karma that if anybody ever does something negative with GMOs and it hurts somebody, and you are in a position to express, well, we should test everything before it goes out, you're re- kind of responsible for that. And I'm just amazed personally, given my spirituality, where I think karma is a real thing and that we build up merit or we build up demerits based on our actions, that all these people who say – who try to shut people up and keep them from expressing concerns about toxins and poisons in the environment are, are doing humanity and their own immortal souls a big disservice. So one of my pet peeves is, and it's not I say a pet peeve, it really should be something bigger than that, uh, is the presence of neurotoxins. And so when you have, like you can kind of do an IQ test for someone's consciousness and awareness and ethics by just simply saying, uh, what neurotoxins are present in the environment? And if the person can't come up with at least three, <laughs> they're, they're basically at a, at a bovine level of consciousness. They're really not paying attention. And, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's probably not even they're not paying attention. It's probably they've just been consuming so many neurotoxins, not even knowing it, that now they aren't even able to express or know or have the knowledge of what that is. Well, good point. Uh, So what amazes me is that fluoride is known to be a neurotoxin. So why would we want to put a neurotoxin in the water? And how can that even be a debate? And yet that's something that Jason has been debating hotly for the last few days. Because he drinks fluoride. Well, but he's highly intelligent. (laughs) So he does have the neurons. So how can how can we have a country and how can we have a democracy where people – we can't even agree that we shouldn't put neurotoxins such as lead or fluoride in our water. Um, I mean I just wonder how are, we going, how are we going to survive as a nation if we can't agree on things like that. Right. Well, and here's the thing, you know, and, and from, the, from the shamanic perspective, everybody is playing their role, right? There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. 
everyone and everyone is a catalyst I, I, I for something else. I think you're way overusing the word sh- uh, shamanic when you say things like this. I I cannot agree with you at all. There are bad things that are bad. Evil. There are things. There are good spirits, benevolent spirits, and evil spirits within shamanism. So there's absolutely good and evil within shamanism. Okay, so we can look at we can look at the the spirits and all that, um, but let's let's just look for now at at people, at humans, human beings, right? So I mean, even if we look, and I'm talking really, really, really big, big picture here, really big perspective, like galactic perspective, right? Because you can look at, um, you know, we we can look at Jason and say, well, he's he's promoting GMOs and he's promoting neurotoxins and you know he's got to be responsible for the karma and what he's also doing is giving people like you and i the chance to band together and stand in what we know and create an entire discussion on your on your web page where everyone's able to look at it and say wow i fully understand that one of the smartest people around clearly thinks that there are no chemtrails and i know that they're that he's completely wrong, right? Well, and would so, you would like, you say for for the for the benefit of people who are um, haven't been following the discussion, what have you experienced in Costa Rica with respect to the difference in the sky and the yeah. the, the 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 artifacts left in the sky by other planes? Tell tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, and this is one of the questions that I can't get him to answer, and I've asked it three to four times. Is please explain to me why there are no contrails or chemtrails or anything. The planes in Costa Rica don't leave white streaks. I mean, we've got the same planes over here, right? We've got the same planes that fly into the international airports in, in LA as, as fly to the international airports here, but they don't leave the trails, right? And people here have asked, I've, I've literally had two people since I've been here ask me, like locals here, say, why do the planes in the U.S leave white streaks everywhere and why do they do that to the sky right and you know they just they just don't it's not a part of their reality the planes leave streaks but the people in the u.s are so indoctrinated into no this is totally normal it's literally just vapor in the sky that for some reason stays all day right and it's, I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's just such a different experience here. I mean, people are so much more connected to the earth in Costa Rica and the land and the sky and the water. And, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's time to it's Now, time when to you raised our, that point, yeah. sorry, what's that? Guest on. I said uh, it's time to pull me, uh, our guest on, but w- give okay, me the last great. thing you're going to say. Okay, great. Let's do it. No, uh, please, go ahead. Uh, well, let's get Mark on the show. All right, let's get Mark Jeffrey on the show. Um, okay, unmuting you. There you go, Mark. Good to have you, Hello, aboard, my friend. How are you? I am, oh, uh, doing good. And uh, I'm excited awesome. to pop some truth bubbles, like spiritual. Yeah, let's. And Ben, you're you're <laughs> got to catch them all. Ben, it's not. Ben, it's not clear. Uh, what you're saying is not clear. Uh, I haven't heard the last two sentences you said. Yeah, you got um, just briefly, but you seem to be back now. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, don't worry about me. Great. Let's 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 focus so on our guests. So I'm pl- very pleased to introduce my friend, uh, uh, Mark Jeffrey. Mark, thank you for coming on the Futurist. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. 
And then, uh, Mark, I mentioned earlier in the show uh, that you had been working in in the LA high technology new media scene for 20 years. Can you tell us about the companies that you've started and how it made you the awesome, incredible, powerful man that you are today? And also <laughs> tell us a tell us a bit about your your writing. I think that you're a very unique and special person because not only can you do uh, technology, but you're an accomplished and successful novelist. Yeah, I am. Uh, I would. I tend to describe myself as a strange nexus of things. That is absolutely true. Um, so the companies that I've started here, um, I, I basically arrived in '94, and my first company was a thing called the Palace, um, which was backed by Time Warner, Intel, and SoftBank. It was basically um, a virtual reality chat thing. However, remember this was the '90s, so it wasn't with helmets and stuff. It was on a screen. It was 2D. And it was like you were looking directly at a comic book. And when you spoke, a little speech bubble came out of your head. Um, and you had avatars and you had uh, rooms. And you could actually program the environment, and make working checkers and chess games and things like that. So sort of like Second Life, but very low tech, um, which we sold that in 99. Um, and then I did a second company called SuperSig, um, which is kind of my, uh, my crash company, unfortunately, because we did that in like 2002. Yeah, it was basically 1999 through... The crash of 2000 and then into 2001. <laughs> Your crash met. company, I like that. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so like everyone's um, got you know, one. That was, that was mine. Everyone's got one. That's my dirty. That's my dirty laundry. That one. So, <laughs> but I mean, but it wasn't my fault. In my own defense. It was like everyone got crushed. Right. So um, you know, so I basically did that. That was basically like an, uh, a way to put apps in email. Basically, is an easy way to explain it. And we, um, so I had to close that down in early 2001. And uh, a little friend of mine who also had a, a company that was getting crushed but hadn't quite died yet, a um, guy named Travis Kalnick, who later becomes the CEO of Uber, said, hey, why don't you come work for me at Red Swoosh? Um, so I went and worked with him for about a year and a half. So um, and that, has, that was interesting at the time, but it has since become a lot more interesting, obviously, in, in light of uh, where Travis has gone. So, um, and, you know, during this whole time, I was meeting people like Alex. I was meeting people like Jason Calcanis, who has now become very well-known, especially in Silicon Valley. Uh, these people were sleeping on my couch. <laughs> so, you know, uh, got to know them and some other folks quite well. And then, um, and, then, and then basically I did two things after, uh, you know, while I was working for Travis and, and directly after. Um, first thing I did was I started writing novels uh, because suddenly I had a lot of time on my hands and there was something – I always wanted to do, but always were sort of afraid to do, I guess, or didn't have the time to do. Um, so I started writing my first book, which was called Max Quick, The Pocket Independent. And um, it was sort of, a, sort of a Harry Potter meets Stargate meets Lost kind of thing. Um, and uh, so I started working on that. And then uh, I also started working on a company called Zero Degrees. Zero Degrees was uh, what you might now call LinkedIn. It was the exact same idea. Uh, started at pretty much the exact same time. And uh, it was a business social network. Uh, started it in 2002. We couldn't get it funded. We tried raising money for it. Nobody was funding anything for the most part. So um, we ended up selling it in 2004 to Barry Diller. So we sold it to Interactive Corp in 2004. So it was a good exit. I mean, it wasn't a bad outcome. It, it just wasn't LinkedIn. <laughs> and given what we know now, it absolutely could have been. We had 1 million users when they had 2 million. So we were behind them, oh, wow. but certainly within distance. And Reed Hoffman later told us that after we got acquired by Diller, uh, he could not raise money for an entire year up in Silicon Valley. 
because all the VCs were like, well, you know, Barry Diller just acquired zero degrees. He's got all these other properties he can use to promote it. He's going to crush you. Why would we fund your stupid little company? Oh, wow. And, uh, so that was the answer he got for an entire year. So, um, and uh, yeah, so that, that, and then when we were inside of IEC, Diller basically told us, hey, so all of our, all of my companies are either number one or number two in their category. Um, so go off and figure out what you are. We didn't have a revenue model yet. And you got to remember, uh, this is very hard to imagine, but at the time, obvious how to make money from these things. Nobody knew if they made money. They just knew that everyone knew it was a phenomenon, but nobody knew if it was a business. So there were all kinds of crazy ideas like, well, maybe we've got all these email addresses. Maybe we email market to them. Maybe we, um, maybe we basically charge memberships, and it's like 100 bucks a year. Maybe, you know, there were a ton of different business models that were thrown around. So um, myself and my partner went off in a corner and, you know, scratched it out on a bunch of pieces of paper for about a month. And then we came back and met with Diller and said, you know what? It's jobs. This thing's a big jobs board, which seems obvious. Again, in retrospect, it was not at the time. It was actually kind of insane. Um, so basically Diller said, well, so you're competing with Monster.com. Uh, Monster.com spends $100 million a year on advertising. Therefore, in order to be number one or number two, I would have to spend $100 million a year on advertising. Therefore, no. <laughs> so come up with something else. And we were like, well, uh, there's, that's the right answer. There's the right answer, and there's all the wrong answers. So, no, we're not coming up with something else. And, uh, and Diller says, well, all right, well, I'll buy you all your contracts, and that'll be that. So that was kind of the end of zero degrees. Um, but just think about that for a second. We had <laughs> – you had LinkedIn on the ropes. They couldn't get funding. And we had the correct – we had what in history is now shown to have been the correct model for monetizing it. And uh, we just couldn't get to it. So, um, so, cool. well, so it bad, sounds like – it sounds like you've got a lot of experience in in business where you're creating you're creating the future and 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 nailing it right. So what's what's next? What's next for us? What's the next big thing yeah. that's coming? Um, so the thing I'm working on now is called Guardian Circle. Uh, it's a peer-to-peer personal safety app and network. So the idea is it lets friends, family, and neighbors protect one another. Um, I've also heard it described as sort of this amber alert social network, but for everything. So the idea with Guardian Circle is you ask, you basically download an app. It's an app you download to either iPhone or Android. Um, it's free, and you ask your friends, family, and neighbors to also download it and become your guardians in the system, which is like sort of like becoming uh, friends in Facebook. Sometime later, um, you have an emergency of some sort. It could be something big. It could be something small. You might Maybe you're jogging alone and you're injured. Uh, or maybe you're a woman and a guy at the bar just won't take no for an answer, or maybe you're having what you think is a heart attack. Anyway, any one of these things, you open the app and push a button, and you declare the level of the alert, which is everything from emergency, or, well, from emergency, urgent, request, or only a test, and you click on the alert button once you've set that. This sends an alert push notification out to all of your guardians, so all their phones start buzzing. Uh, when they open the app, and when they, when they click through the notification, they are sent to your alert room. Now, your alert room uh, has two parts. There's a map at the top that shows everyone's current location, including yours, and you're kind of blinking because you're the one in trouble. Um, and as your guardians pop it, uh, answer your alert, they pop up on the map also. And then there's a chat room at the bottom so everyone can communicate. So everyone's seeing this exact same screen, so now everyone knows where everyone else is, and everyone can communicate immediately, um, whether they knew each other beforehand or not. And so now they can come up with a plan to help you fast. Um, so that's what we're working on today. Wow. Um, okay. So 
is there I have two questions. First question, is there a level of alert button that says meet me at the bar right now to <laughs> have drinks? Well, you could, in fact, use it for that purpose. We don't uh, – not the purpose we made it for, but as, That's your next as William business. Gibson says, it's, it's an easy. Yeah, as as easy William Gibson tra- says, the street <laughs> finds its own use for tech. So uh, <laughs> it's entirely possible people will do that. Okay, okay. So question number two. This is a real question. So a few years ago, when we were living, actually, this was probably about four years ago, my wife and I were living in Emeryville, uh, California, right next to Oakland, and she was at an event in Oakland. I was at another event in San Francisco, and. She got mugged. She left the event and was uh, about to get on an elevator to go down uh, to her car, and the elevator door opened. She noticed someone behind her. She stepped aside. He tried to force her in the elevator, and she pulls out her phone to call me, and he punched her in the face, and she dropped the phone, and, I mean, she's screaming. She's, like, lost her shit, right? Like, she doesn't even know which way is up, and she just leaves her phone and runs. Right. Yeah. And, and so like, I know like if there was, if there was like a high level threat situation like that, like my wife's not even going to remember her password for her phone. Like, is so how easy is this thing to use? Is it like accessible on the home screen where, or or does she have to like have it set up ready to go? So as she's walking, she just hits the button. How does this work? Yeah. So, so basically right now, no, uh, it would not be easy. Obviously, in that situation, she, she could not have opened the app and, and used Guardian Circle as it exists today um, in that situation. Um, coming very soon, we are working with a number of hardware uh, and other device manufacturers um, to basically outfit you with um, watches and rings and all kinds of things which um, not only can you push a button and, and just with a, a single button click send off your guardian alert, um, but it will preemptively figure out whether you're in trouble um, from gate analysis. Are you running in a strange and panicked way? Is your heart rate elevated? Um, and it will know the difference mm-hmm. between whether you're on a jog, just going for a jog, or whether, yeah, you're in panic mode, you're running, um, or you're being assaulted. Um, so it will then send out the alert for you. Um, there are other uh, things that we're putting into the system coming out in the fall, which will um, enable you to sort of set up in advance, hey, I'm, I'm going for a run, so if I don't report in in like 45 minutes, something's happened to me. Send off an gar- alert to my guardians. Um, and then oh, if cool. my guardians don't answer, call my guardians' guardians and bring them into the alert room. So you can think of Guardian Circle as basically this uh, intelligence grid for finding help uh, when you need it from every possible source around you, um, both peer-to-peer and eventually official as well. And there'll be a myriad cool. number of devices which you can use to set off the alert, um, both some of them preemptively, some of them just by detecting what's going on and explicitly by pushing the button. So all of that stuff cool. is in our plans and function. So, so in, in my lifetime, I've studied a lot of survival stuff, you know, surviving in the wilderness, and um, I studied – uh, self-defense a lot, like years of close quarter combat and, and, and fighting stuff and different martial arts. And, and the biggest thing that, that, that we would teach was that preparation is your best friend, right? Is, is being ready, being aware, having a plan 
right? And so, and so, so that you can de-escalate things before you even have to use any kind of force or other uh, evasive tactics, right? So, is there, is there, uh, do you guys have any kind of material for people to look over? Like, okay, so, so, I mean, the people that are using your app are people that are concerned about their safety or, you know, on, on some level at least. So, do you have, like, documentation or, or videos that's like, hey, here's what you should do if something happens. Here's what you should look for. Look for people that are watching you, following you too close, coming up. When, when somebody comes up on the sidewalk, here's what you're going to want to do to make sure that, you know, because people don't know this stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do, you have, do you have that kind of stuff too? So you're entirely correct, but we do not have that because it's not our core competency. We're not good at teaching people those things. We're good at making right. I'm, I'm sure you can you know, find somebody that that can teach <laughs> yeah, yeah, that absolutely. stuff. We are. Um, there are a number of partnership uh, discussions that some of which have closed and some of which are still under discussion, uh, but none of which have been announced yet. But soon, um, where we're talking to people who provide other services uh, in, in which Guardian Circle is baked into. Um, so that would be a great example of someone we should partner with. Absolutely to. Um, to augment what they're doing and they will augment what we're doing as well. Very cool. I've got some good recommendations for you if, uh, if you want some. Sure. Absolutely. Cool. And then, um, Alex, jump right in brother. So Mark, uh, how much money have you raised and how much are you looking for? <laughs> well, um, I, we're not discussing that publicly. Um, but I will say that we are, uh, we've raised most of our seed round, um, but there's still room, there's a little bit of room right now uh, at the top of that. So we're basically, actually I've got a meeting this afternoon and, and several meetings next week. But some people you know, Alex, I'm sure if I said these names out loud, you would absolutely know them. Um, so the interest level has gone up and uh, we'll be able to, there's one announcement in particular uh, of a deal that we just closed, but we can't announce it until the fall. Um, but I think once we announce that, the interest is going to be um, very, very high. So it's going well, and it will soon go a lot better, put that way. Awesome. Uh, why are you doing this? Why, like with all, you could start any number of companies. Why did you choose to do Guardian Circle? Mm, that's good. Um, well, I think, so, I, I mean, you guys, you guys will, I think, like this answer. Um, so I've been doing stuff that's that sort of, I mean, I guess when I did the palace, I mean, really my goal in life was to blow away my friends, let's be honest. That's really what I was trying to do. Um, and it was super impressive and awesome, especially for the time. Um, but it was that was kind of it, you know. But I was a young man, and that's what young men do. And um, I think now that I'm older, uh, I, I, whatever it is I, that I do, I wouldn't say I'm fully altruistic, but I definitely want to do something that's not evil uh, or, or mundane or venal. You know, something like Pokemon Go, although it's fun, uh, it, it's kind of a waste of time. I wouldn't do that just simply because I would find it to be um, – I've sort of done that already. I mean, that's what the palace was, was that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, there's one dimension of this in which I do want it to be something which betters the world. And uh, so I, I, was, you know, I spent a long time thinking about what the next thing is I wanted to do. And when I had this idea, I realized that it was at once um, a practical – business enterprise, um, but also it did a lot, it would do a lot of good in the world. Uh, four, four billion of us have no 911, we have nothing. Uh, if you go to many areas of the world, there's nobody you can call. 
And um, wow, that's an amazing with, that's an amazing statistic. How did you find that out? Tell us about that. How, um, how, how did you go about like learning that? Uh, well, I can tell you, uh, th- this comes from the XPRIZE Foundation. We recently had a conversation with them, and uh, they're the ones who, who told me about this. Um, they're very excited about Guardian Circle. They, um, they, they see that, that it fills a need. Basically, the other half of that story is those 4 billion people, most of them have mobile devices. I mean, it's crazy. You go to the deepest forests and the, you know, the craziest, most remote places um, where people are dirt poor, and yet somehow they've got Android devices. They may not so, have reception, I mean, I, but they have the phones. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, in a lot of cases, actually, they've leapfrogged our infrastructure, right? So the reception is better there than in the States in some cases. Anyway, Where? So, well, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on reception, but, the, but I do know that they're using their phones, and they are, they are trading phone minutes as currency in, in remote parts of Africa. That much I can oh, tell wow. you for sure. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's money. Trip. Basically, like, you know, you give me this cow, I'll give you uh, three hours of phone minutes. That's so, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So here in Costa Rica, it's really funny. Like, they have LTE here, but the LTE here is slower than the 3G in L.A. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and, 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 but, um, and that's when you can get it. Got it. But, um, you know, a lot of these people, you know, they're very willing to help one another. They just have no defense grid that can flash organ. You know, basically, Guardian Circle is about creating a flash mob of help. And all these people are perfectly willing to do it. They just mm, never cool. had access to that before. They never had an intelligence grid that they could all tap into. Now they do. So, I don't know. I, I like the idea of spreading that sort of thing through the world. It doesn't have That's to so be. Cool. I, you know, I love Alex's question of why. Um, and that's, it's, you know, it's such an important story for any entrepreneur. And I remember, I think it was 10, 10 years ago or so I was going to start, I, did a, I spent several months, uh, starting or trying to conceptualize a business that would be, a um, like a self-defense, uh, thing for children. Like I, I noticed several stories about kids mm-hmm. getting abducted, um, in a, in the, I think it was right around 2008. And I was like, fuck, I can do something about this, right? I had a lot of experience in, in martial arts and self-defense and a lot of knowledge, right? Street knowledge. And so I pulled in one of my martial art instructor friends and we just looked at everything from educating the parents and the kids and doing videos and, and advertising in Black Belt magazine and all kinds of stuff. And that was going to be something that was really uh, important to me. And so when I, when I saw... Uh, when I saw a guardian circle, I was like, Oh, that's a really, really cool idea. Um, something that, that, that I care about a lot too. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think of guardian circle, you know, in, in like the 10% use case, which is someone's attacking you. That's where everyone's brain goes. But I mean, we're finding that it, it's, it's you, the 90% use case is uh, sort of more slow motion or minor emergencies. So, you know, like your uh, your car conked out. Who's got jumper cables? It's nearby. Um, I'm scared. I'm, I look at my front door. There's like a scratch on it. I don't know if someone broke in. It looks like a crowbar. <laughs> can someone can someone just come over and walk into my house with me? You know, it's not something you could call the cops for because the cops don't care. And the average response right. time, by the way, in LA, the average response time of 911 is three hours. You know, oh, unless wow. you're dying. Like, but other than that, it's three hours. So not only you know, in, in the States, 
the, the official services are becoming overwhelmed and less reliable. John Oliver Man, did a this, whole piece on, on how bad it is like six weeks ago. And this, you know, uh, we have this new Uber, this new automated Uber is going to put a million Uber drivers out of business and guardian circle is going to put a million cops out of business. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we'll still need the cops, but, but the first line of defense now is organized for the first time. We've never had that before. So, Yeah. Why do you think the Guardian Circle will put a million cops out of business? And, Mark, can you comment on that? And also, what do you (laughs) think is going to happen with these uh, self-driving cars? I I mean, will it really put people out of business, or will it just increase the market overall so that the same number of people are employed? I'd I'd love both of your thoughts on on those two situations. Um, Who who should go first here? Is this you, Ben? Mine was a joke, so yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, so I, I, I don't. A lot of people are like, "Hey, so does this replace nine one one? Does this replace cops?" Hell no. This is another line of defense in front of the cops in nine one one. You still need nine one one. You still need the cops. But after you call nine one one, you want to alert your guardian circle because when you go to the hospital, you need someone to be your advocate. You need someone to tell them your social security number. While you're in the hospital, you need. Someone to take care of your dog. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that, that you still need That's your guardian cool. circle for, right? And, you know, there are situations where you need a dude with a gun to show up at your front door. You just do. And that's when you call the cops. And even then, <laughs> you still want your guardian circle alerted, right? You just do. So this is a mesh network of all possible help. Not, we're not disrupting and replacing cops in the same way that Uber disrupted and replaced taxis. That's not what guardian circle is. So you mean so, I don't want my mom showing up when uh, somebody's got a gun and I need help? Right. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, call the police. Exactly. All right. Loud and clear. So tell yeah. us about the cars. Um, so the question with the cars was uh, – sorry, Alex. So as somebody who has known uh, the CEO of Uber and has intimate knowledge of, of what's going on right now, and somebody who has such a close relationship that he just called you when you didn't like his logo and posted about it on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the inside information? What's the inside scoop? What do we need to know about? Um, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I, what my thoughts were. I, I don't actually you know, know Uber's plans. I don't want to represent that I do. And, and if I did, Travis is still my friend, and I wouldn't blab about it. That said, but I don't know, just so we're clear on that. Um, I, you know, when I saw the move, my first reaction was, holy crap, that is, I, I mean, basically, so for people who don't know, the announcement was that Uber is now rolling out self-driving Uber cars in, uh, I believe it's Philadelphia, and uh, where Carnegie Mellon is. And so, no, it's in, it's in uh, Pittsburgh. It's, oh, it is in Pittsburgh. Okay, my mistake. So it's in Which Pittsburgh. is where, Car- which you're, but you're correct, it's where, where Carnegie, Mellon, and Carnegie Mellon is, CMU is. Right. And so Carnegie Mellon has the, the staff of, of people who are actually the, the self-driving car scientists that all come out and see me, a lot of them. Um, so they're, rolling, they're actually rolling it out. You're going to be able to jump in a self-driving car within a month in, in, the, in the city of Pittsburgh. So that shocked me, frankly, because I was like, we all think of that as, you know, maybe three years out, something like that, maybe five. And we don't think of it as something that's happening right away. But that's very Travis to just just push and just jump out there and do something and, you know, move fast and break things as, as uh, he says. And I think Zuckerberg says that same thing as well. 
What, what a lot of people don't know, and, and frankly, the reason why Uber is, is as successful as it is, is because of that crazy gene that Travis has. Uh, the idea of ride sharing existed long before Travis came along. Lyft was out there. There was the primordial version of Uber that was out there, but they were all playing it safe. They were all tiptoeing around the taxi industries and the city regulations. Travis was the, was the guy who did the crazy Ivan and just said, you know what? I don't care about that. We're just going to do what we want to do and we're going to get sued and that's going to be that. And we're just going to push forward. And it was, and it was that attitude that, that basically he ran out so fast and so far ahead of everyone else that by the time he, you know, he was miles down the street before they realized he was even running. And, and by that <laughs> time, it's just the world loved Uber and nobody was going to give it up, which is what he bet on. And, and that's why Uber crushed Lyft and everybody else. And he's just got that gene. Without Travis, there would have been no Uber. There would have been something, but it wouldn't have been. And, and, and Lyft rode that wave. Because once Travis started running down the road, he paved the way for Lyft to, to basically ascend with him. So, but what a lot of people don't know is that Travis um, isn't afraid of being sued. And the reason he isn't afraid of being sued is because he's been inoculated. He's been inoculated from his previous, by his previous businesses where in which he was sued for billions of dollars. Now, that time he cared, and that time he was very scared. Uh, he was sued by um, uh, Michael Ovitz for uh, his, his first company, that, the one I worked on, on, I worked on a different one with him, but his first company was Scour, which was essentially a Napster clone, but for stealing movies, <laughs> just being very blunt and honest. So, um, and so people were stealing movies, and, uh, the, um, and the motion picture people didn't like that. So uh, they they, wow. but they came down very heavily and, on Travis and they, uh, there was a there's a story where Mike Ovitz had sort of a back alley discussion with Travis you know one of those you know it'd be a shame if you know you know someone would come and uh, hurt you you know what I'm saying there Travis <laughs> I don't know it was exactly like that but Travis Travis was a little bit rattled by it I do remember that it was a it was a shakedown kind of conversation and um, you know but he but he learned that inoculated him then he wasn't afraid of being sued. So when Uber came along, he's like, yeah, okay, I've been sued before, and I'm, I'm still alive, and that's fine, and I don't care. And the reason – and you go to Silicon Valley, the people that are there, by and large, are not those kind of people. They don't like being sued. They find it messy. It's scary. And so when he brought it to Sequoia, which is the world's top venture capital firm, he brought it in there three times. They said no three times because they were afraid of being sued. And they just – you know, it just didn't fit with the normal way things worked in Silicon Valley. It's kind of – street fighter, damn the torpedoes kind of mentality is not really them. So, but it is Travis. So when I saw this move, I was both shocked and, and also impressed and also like, oh yeah, of course, this is what Travis would do. About two or three months ago, Elon Musk announced that Tesla was effectively going to be competing with Uber in the future. <laughs> and the way in which Tesla is going to do that is when you buy Tesla, um, it will have, has self, if they have self-driving in it now, you'll be able to just flip right. your car on and say, hey, go drive around and drive people places and make me money. And then when you're done, come back and pick me up at the end of the day. And your Tesla oh, will pay for wow. itself. Yeah, so that, that, he made that announcement a couple months ago. And I remember I was – and so effectively, now we have Elon Musk versus Travis Kalanick. And that was the first time that that contest had been made clear. And uh, so this – you know, Travis may well have sped up his timeline in response to that. I don't know, but um, you know, it's a bold move, and it's bold because it's early. And you know, Tesla, as you know, their self-driving car actually killed someone 
um, like in the last few months. I don't recall exactly what, but it was recent. Yeah. Um, if Travis's self-driving cars kill someone or kill multiple people, uh, that will be a huge setback. So it's very, very risky. Um, or if it goes wrong or if it's perceived to be weird or bad or scary in any way, um, that it could very well hurt the company. Um, but this is the kind of risky move that Travis makes, and it's bold. Well, it seems like, and, and it seems frankly, like it I, be a, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, it, it seems like this would be a great collaboration for Travis and Elon. I mean, it, I don't know how Elon's going to have a program that just goes and picks up people. I mean, it's a, it's a huge infrastructure that Uber's built that, you know, Elon might benefit from tapping into, and Elon has built – an amazing automatic driving car platform that Travis could tap into. What do you think about that? Yeah. Does, I, does it I actually, make sense? If I were Elon. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Actually. I think, I mean, cause the thing that Elon doesn't have is all the, all the, all the, all the people looking for rides. He's got all the people with the rides, but yeah. he has no demand creation uh, mechanism and Travis has, you know, spent the last eight years building that. So it would make a lot of sense for, and honestly, I think eventually that's what will happen. Cause I don't think, I think, Elon will go, you know what? I just want people to be able to plug into an existing network and, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm good. Fine. I'm going to Mars. I'm yeah. I'm working on, I'm working on Hyperloop. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly think it, it, yeah, I don't think this is an interesting problem for, for Elon to solve. So. Right. Yeah. It's already been done. It's already been solved. Yeah. Cool. So. So what else what, can I tell you? Uh, what, so the show is called the futurist. Who are your favorite futurists, and what are your favorite predictions about the near future? What what are you looking forward to seeing this year or next year? Oh boy, um, I would say that. Well, I mean, I would say, even though I am future looking, I'm not as an avid a reader or consumer of futurist stuff as well. Say Alex Lightman is. That's um, because fact, you're creating it. Probably half, pro- <laughs> probably half of what I consume comes from well, Alex Lightman. So, and it's quite good, but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll be honest with my views are, I, I think, you know, you started off the show discussing, um, science versus, you know, basically people who laugh at, um, fringe, what, what you might call fringe or X-Files kind of ideas. Um, do you think but, you know, Galileo, being a neurotoxin and not being put in water is a fringe idea? Seriously? Right, we're well, getting off topic now. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not. Let me just, I'll, I'll bring it back, I promise. Just let me, go, let me take a little left turn for a second. Okay. All right, all right. So what I was feeling when I was listening to that was um, I feel like science has become a church. And if you question the dogma of the church of science, you are, you are it's heresy, heresy. That's you know, the point I was making. There's this emotional reaction to it. And if you're in academia or you're a, a tenured or funded scientist, also that tenured funding goes away and you're ostracized and you're excommunicated from the scientific community. And um, there's, there's, an, there's an unwillingness to even explore things. So within the scientific and accepted science community, it's heresy to discuss fluoride, you know, the fluoridation of water is something that we should look at, that we should discuss. Why the hell is a, a pharmaceutical being put in the water supply? Who cares whether it's harmless or not? Why are we doing it? And, um, and so I, Personally, I look forward to exploration of kind of the crazier and, but possibly more promising um, physics ideas, um, uh, you know, just things that, that we haven't really tapped into that, 
that we feel that are sort of outlawed because they're heretical. I'd like to see them explored further. That's honestly the stuff I'm most excited about. So um, I'm hoping that there will be more open minds and uh, more, more realization that back in the day, Galileo was a French scientist. Everyone thought he was a nut. He was, he was a nut job that no one believes. It turned out the dude had a point. And I think there's probably a lot of other dudes that have a point that aren't getting a hearing because of the, the church of science that's been built up. So there's here, here. And what, uh, what do you think about what's happening um, in the presidential race? Uh, do you want to express an opinion? Who do you think would be better <laughs> for the United – since the show is called The Future of Safety Through Public Media, uh, what do you think will be uh, – who do you think is better for Americans' uh, safety, both domestically and internationally? <laughs> this is this is Alex trying to get off topic and try to stay on topic at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite good at that, I have to admit. <laughs> um, well, I think I think I've been I've been fairly public on, on my in Facebook. Um, I, I actually think currently that both candidates that we have before us are uh, both unacceptable. Frankly, um, you know, it, it's sort of a, a tough choice because on one hand you have a very corrupt um, and lying uh, Hillary Clinton, and then you have Donald Trump who's kind of insane. And so it's sort of like Two-Face versus the Joker, and like it's just a, neither choice is good, um, nor acceptable, and it's horrible that we're, we're forced into this position. So, well, it's, um, it's, it's, I, what, what I think I, is hysterical is this, is like we're in Olympic season right now, right? We're in Olympics where we're looking at the best of the best of the best in the world at like running really fast or using a pole to jump really high and all these like random things. And then we've got the fucking presidential race and we've got these two numbskulls that are winning gold and silver right now. Like, how does this even happen? Like, where are our priorities here? And can we hire the people that are, that are responsible for the Olympics to run the, the election? Can we do that? <laughs> Maybe there's the future yeah, well, of elections. I mean, honestly, I do have some questions about the legitimacy of, of especially the California primary. Um, I, I don't feel like that was that was something shady happened. I feel and I experienced it directly, um, without getting into the full story. But I feel so. I, one of the things I would like to see happen is I would like to see blockchain-based voting. Um, so in other words, use the mechanism behind Bitcoin to ensure that there is no voter fraud. You can actually create mathematically perfect voting now through use of the blockchain. How does that, how does that work? I, I don't know what that means. Um, longer explanation, but basically the mechanism, uh, the flux capacitor that makes Bitcoin possible. Okay, okay, okay. Ex- explain be... in explain in third grader terms. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, um, third grader terms. So the blockchain is basically the core engine that makes block that makes Bitcoin work, and what it does is it effectively ensures that you and I cannot have copies of the same Bitcoin. And that turns mm. out to be a very, 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 very difficult thing to do in the world of computers, right? Because computers like to copy things. As we found out with Napster, and as Travis found out with Scour, right? It's just the natural state of things in computer world is you can have a copy of a file, and I can have a copy of the same file. It's super easy for me to have. The, the same thing can effectively exist in two places at once. That's very common in computer world. So how do you then return digital scarcity? 
so that only I can have a copy of one file, or effectively I can. And that was the problem that was solved with Bitcoin. I can only have a bit, one Bitcoin uh, with a certain serial number, and you can't have it, and there's no way you can ever copy it. Bitcoin has solved that problem. So you can take that same technology and apply it to voting so that it is impossible to, um, to basically forge an election or any election results and that you can go back and see who voted where and when without it anonymously so you don't see the person's name, but you can generally see you know, where votes were cast. And you can basically detect fraud in the same way that uh, just by looking at the blockchain in Bitcoin, you can uh, detect theft. Um, so it, it, it provides extraordinary transparency and makes forgery impossible. So you could how, have perfect voting. How easy would that be to take the, the Bitcoin platform and use it for voting? Very easy. Very easy. The problem is the acceptance by the people in power who don't like to have that sort of transparency suddenly available, right? So now, does that mean you if could, you could vote from home, or would you still have to go to a voting place? Uh, I think we should make it easier home. for people to vote from home. Yeah, you could absolutely make you could absolutely allow people to vote from home. No question about that'd it. That'd be that'd be a cool app. Just download the voting app, cast your vote. Yes, yes, you could totally you could do that right now, and it, it like basically. You know, I, I'm going to give it a fair year and not that much funding, and you could have it up and running. And it would be perfect, and it would never, ever be wrong. Whoa, that sounds promising. Yes, it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I, I just I think the problem is getting uh, the governments of the world to accept it because I, I just don't think they'll go for it because suddenly they'll be like, oh my God, you mean actually, you mean actually this election will be fair? <laughs> we can't have that. You know, oh dear can, Lord. That'll be horrible. I think that's really, yeah, the thing standing in the way. Cool. I, w- I want that. Please make that, Mark. <laughs> um, it's on my list, but I'm on Guardian Circle. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly on my list of things I'd love to do. So, so is there, I yeah. mean, is there somebody working on this? Like, this it sounds like a pretty important thing. I mean, as as important as Guardian Circle sounds, like like to protect an individual, this is like protecting the entire planet. I mean, it's clear how how much damage this this uh, current system has done in the last, you know, 16 years. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I mean, yeah. my suggestion is to take a little break from Guardian Circle and create this um, in the next year. Oh, goodness. I can't do it. You just can't do two at once. <laughs> it's not possible. I've tried it. You can't do <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely in my notepad of, like, yeah, I'd love to do this. As far as I know, nobody's working on it. Um, and the reason why probably is because it's not a business, right? Like, um, who are you gonna, who's going to pay for this? You can you charge gonna, the government so much for this kind of stuff. Yeah, basically, you got to charge the government because the ones don't want it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. I don't want this transparency out there. You want me to pay for it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But honestly, I think that's what's going on. I think that's why. All right, so, so as, as somebody with your tech experience, like what kind of a price tag would you put would you put on that? Like, I mean, how much would it really be? I mean, we've got. I mean, the U.S. government loses like trillions of dollars at a time. So, how much would this really cost? Like, how much would it cost to make make perfect? So basically, make per, perfect voting incorporated. Um, yeah. And you got an app on both Android and iPhone. That's um, even a good name for it. Perfect in perfect yeah, voting. Perfect, 
and then you have um, a massive scalability. So it's probably on Amazon and you've got, yeah. So, well, it's blockchain based. So uh, it's probably distributed. It's not in one place. I don't, I, I mean, honestly, I think you could do it for maybe 2 million tops. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. It's not like a, it's not like a hundred million dollar project. I mean, it, this is not hard. The technology already exists. And, and 2 million is I'm, I'm putting some fluff in there just for design uh, and, and some other considerations, but honestly, I don't think it's that much. Yeah, we've all seen the government websites. I don't think they budget too much for design. No, no, not at all. But, you know, you'd want something that was adapted. The base, oh, I'm thinking of the Remember what they did with the exchanges for Obamacare, for the Affordable Care Act? It was like hundreds of millions of dollars for websites that were terrible. Yeah, it was absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. Yeah, it so was anyway, not to do You could definitely make some money off of this. Um, so tell me who you charge. <laughs> let's let's see who picked right, uh, exactly. That's the let's see who created Obamacare <laughs> website. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all ears, but you know, in all honesty, though, I can only do one project at a time, and I'm, you you know, I'm on Guardian Circle. I got to finish that mission first. That's so cool. Yeah. So so what is what is next for you in Guardian Circle, and what do you need, and and what uh, what's the what's what's the plan that excites you the most, and when do you think your exit will be? Well, I think um, for right now, we're just in growth mode because we just launched our, you know, it's the 1.5 version of our app on both iOS and Android. But in my mind, it's really the 1.0. Um, it's really the 1.0 version in my mind, uh, despite what the number says. So and that was only three weeks ago. So now it's about promoting it, going on, going on shows like yours, um, and really getting the word out there so that people understand what this is that this sort of service is available and that it's free and, and frankly that it doesn't track you all the time, which has actually been one of the common misperceptions that we've run into. People see the map. People see what's sort of the money shot of, of uh, them and their guardians on a map. And they're like, oh, my God, I don't want my friends to know where I'm at at all times. And uh, I have to explain patiently that, no, your location is only shared during an emergency, and when the emergency is over, location is, again, not shared. So um, it's, cool. it's very situational. And we do cool. and privacy is topmost of our minds. We have no idea where you are. We have no idea until you either respond to an alert or 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 declare an alert of your own. So awesome. It's really, it's really about that stuff right now. Um, and then I, you know, I mentioned earlier the integration with multiple devices. Um, we're working with a very large third party on that right now. I can't discuss it yet, but that's one of the directions we're heading in. Um, and then, uh, you know, basically building out more pieces of the infrastructure uh, to provide response from people other than your guardians. So imagine, you know, your guardians aren't around, but maybe your guardians, guardians can help. So allowing you a yeah, safe or, way or to. Somebody, or somebody that's totally not connected to you in any way, yes. but they're right next door and could be there immediately. Correct. Well, the thing we, one the, thing the, I think is. I think is really cool about about this app specifically, and and I'm sure you know this because of how many users you've been able to generate in your past business. But what I think is so great is that it's one of these it's one of these services that you can't use. You can't get the value from the service by yourself. The only way to get the value of the service is to have all of your friends and family and people that you know download it as well, right? So it's kind of like, like yes. Dropbox, right? And, and it, it creates a virility where, where, where you 
if I want to use this, I have to tell 10 of my friends about it. And then if they want to use it, they have to tell 10 of their friends about it. And it, it, it increases exponentially. Yes, you got it. That's so, exactly so how many users right do you have right now? It's going exponentially. We're not discussing raw numbers for reasons of competitiveness, but um, <laughs> you could be assured that it has gone viral and exponential, and it's doing exactly what you described. And that was that was by beautiful, design, obviously. So, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Very cool. Well, maybe uh, your competitors out there can just hear what we're talking about now, realize they've been solidly beat and start working on the, uh, the blockchain um, uh, election <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah. I, yeah I trust me guys. It's cheaper. Oh, that's cool. So speaking um, of uh, Bitcoin and, uh, or speaking of blockchain, uh, what do you think the future of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is? And do you think that, that they're ever going to have an impact on the value of the U.S. dollar, and will a cryptocurrency ever become a reserve currency? Uh, I think it's inevitable that a cryptocurrency becomes a reserve currency. Um, I make this that exact argument in uh, the case for Bitcoin, which is a book I've written. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, I actually am a big a big believer in that, and I believe it will be Bitcoin, um, just simply because at this moment in history, um, the computing power that backs Bitcoin. So regular fiat currencies backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government and really the Federal Reserve Bank. Bitcoin is backed by the amount of computational power uh, of the miners in aggregate who stand behind it. That is now, that computational power is now the world's largest supercomputer uh, by, by an order of a thousand. So the next largest supercomputer is a thousand times smaller. Um, wow. And it's growing exponentially, yes. So the Bitcoin, to, in order to create another competing cryptocurrency, you would have to equal or exceed the computing power of Bitcoin's uh, network and aggregate. And I don't believe anything is going to catch it at this point. I think, it's, I think that horse has left the stable, much like you're not going to create, like, you know, Internet 2 that's got its own protocol other than TCP IP. So I think it's done. Um, I think Bitcoin improves over time, but Bitcoin is already good enough to become the world's reserve currency. So I think that's it. I think other currencies will be used more commonly. Bitcoin will sort of become gold, uh, if you will, where you sort of store value, but you don't really move it around very much for transactions. Um, and what you'll actually transact with will be other cryptocurrencies that are far more lightweight, uh, like Ethereum, uh, that have faster uh, transaction, response, uh, transaction speeds and that can be programmable. So uh, one of the key features of Ethereum uh, which has been exploited for horrible purposes as of late, unfortunately, but I think we'll fix this, um, is the ability to make money that's programmable. So imagine if I were to give an allowance to my children and that money was smart. So that money cannot be spent on candy. It cannot be spent on movies. It can be spent on celery and it can be spent on ballet lessons, but that's it. So you can build up, you know, or there can be contracts. So, you know, basically I give, I give Alex, I give Alex a hundred dollars but he can't spend it until he completes uh, a task for me. He answers a question for me on Quora because we know how much he loves mm. that. So once he answers <laughs> that question, then he gets $100, right? So there's all kinds of stuff like that that you can do with money that's programmable that you can't do right now. 
So that'll be that'll be where money goes in the future, and and it'll it may be Ethereum, it may be some inheritor with Ethereum, and we'll just have to see. That's so cool. Uh, Mark, I just why I hasn't just, Bitcoin why hasn't the price of Bitcoin gone up more now that the halving has happened? And can you explain the halving? Yes. Yeah, so um, the great halving, <laughs> or halving as it's been called. Um, so the idea is that uh, those those miners that I just spoke of. Um, they're really doing the work of, pro- of processing the transactions in the Bitcoin network. So much like the SWIFT network that Visa owns, uh, I'm not sure if Visa owns it, but it, anyway, the big banks own, um, processes transactions. That's what the miners do in the Bitcoin network. So as a reward for doing all that transaction processing, there's effectively a lottery every 10 minutes of free Bitcoins that are created out of thin air, much as the Federal Reserve creates money out of thin air. So the miners, there are, uh, there used to be um, 12, I think it was 12 point, sorry, there were 25 Bitcoins given away every 10 minutes in June of this year, that was cut in half to 12.5 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. That is by design. Uh, The number of new Bitcoins produced will continue to have at periodic intervals uh, between now and the year 2140. There are, uh, I believe, 16 million Bitcoins in existence. There will only ever be 21 million. Um, So there is scarcity, much like gold. And unlike regular money that the Federal Reserve produces, where you can just sort of make, you can just basically uh, whip more up into thin air anytime you want to for things like um, bailing out banks and such, you cannot do that Bitcoin network. So the price of Bitcoin can probably can only ascend. So why hasn't it ascended further? Uh, don't know. I think it's just a question of people are still getting used to it. It's still kind of a crazy idea in most people's minds. But I believe there will come a time where everyone just sort of wakes up and goes, oh, my God, this is the only safe place for my money to go. Um, there will be some crisis in the world. There will be market crashes that cause other market crashes. And as money seeks a safe haven, and it runs to places that are traditionally safe, like gold and silver. There are only, uh, there's only limited supply of those. Some portion of that will flow to Bitcoin, I believe, for the first time. When that happens, the price of Bitcoin, I believe, and I'm not a financial advisor, but my personal belief is the price of Bitcoin will ascend hugely and massively overnight. Uh, but it will be building up over a period of years, which we're sort of in right now. And when that happens, I can't tell you, but I believe it will come, and then it will become the world's reserve currency some somewhere after that. Awesome. And how about all the other cryptocurrencies? How many? How much room is there for other cryptocurrencies? There's an awful lot of room for other cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is very bad at certain things, so it's very good at holding value, like gold. Uh, it's very good at not being hacked, <laughs> um, unlike Ethereum. So uh, it's, it's really awesome and stable, and it's got the hugest footprint computationally, as I described earlier. However, its transaction speed is very slow. So when I give you a Bitcoin, it takes 10 minutes for that transaction to clear. Not exactly register-friendly, right? So uh, it's, you know, you're never going to be able to do Bitcoin transactions at a register uh, in a speedy way. So, um, so that right there That's is one That's not something place they can fix? Uh, not easily. Not easily. And, and frankly, anytime they tinker with something, it threatens the stability of the network. So everyone, and because it's, it's been so stable, everyone's afraid to do anything. So, wow. and I kind of agree with 
caution. So I actually don't think you should fix it. It's not broken. So don't just use it for what it seems to be good at um, and go and create alternative cryptocurrencies for the express purpose of actually doing transactions fast. And then be, remember, this stuff's all digital. So you could hold all your currency in Bitcoin, transact in Ethereum, and convert it right back to Bitcoin. You know, just do that all seamlessly under the hood. You never know the difference. You think you're spending Bitcoin, but really you've sort of moved into the Ethereum network for a second and then back. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are all kinds of different currency possibilities that can and will be created. And, um, you know, and, and Bitcoin will, again, just be used for the purpose of storing value. And that'll be kind of it. Very cool, Mark. Well, I love all your knowledge about all the different things. And um, we're coming to the top of the show. So I just wanted to thank you for sharing Guardian Circle and everything you're doing for the world and and all your massive amounts of knowledge that you've obtained over the years and now you're putting it into this this project that's going to help a lot of people and i'm sure even if it you know even if it just helps one person it's going to be huge <laughs> right um and i know i know it's going to be i know it's going to be big and and i i want to i want to express to all of our listeners please download the app share it with your friends and family uh let's let's spread this around so, Mark, how can how can our uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you? How can they? What can you what can you send? Where can you send them so they can uh, find out more about you? Yeah, so um, Guardian Circle is that as you might expect, GuardianCircle.com. Uh, it's available in iTunes and it's available in the Google Play Android App Store as well. Um, so those three places. Um, my author site is MarkJeffrey.net. That's Mark with a K, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y dot net. Um, and, yeah, you can easily find me at either place. So there you go. Or on Twitter at Beautiful. Mark Jeffrey. Cool. Yeah, so I was, I was uh, looking at your books earlier today, and they look really, really good. I mean, New York Times bestsellers and really good stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I know we didn't really talk about the books, but, <laughs> but yeah. I've, uh, well, I have maybe maybe if we had another 90 minutes. Awesome. All right. Thanks yep. so much, Mark. So thank you for Alex. Alex, what do you want to what do you want to tell people? Well, we have our summit coming up at Rise. Rise is an 800-acre paradise in Costa Rica, and that will be on January 11th, uh, 2017. Yes, we're the futurists, so we're always talking about the future. We're already living in next year in part. And yeah. then Ben and I will and that's for, by the way, for the show. So that's for listeners of the show to get together and meet each other in person. And then after that, Ben and I will be doing a workshop on multiple levels of uh, and dimensions of consciousness. So how to look at the world in 1D, 2D, 3D, which most people are experts at but don't realize they are. Um, and then on higher to four-dimensional, five-dimensional, and higher consciousness. And uh, we'll be putting out announcements about the details of those in the near future. Um, also, if you're interested, uh, I have a book out this year called Augmented that's co-authored with uh, Brett King and two other authors, um, Augmented Life in the Smart Lane, that discusses the uh, how we're going to have, as we mentioned earlier in the program, a thousand years of technological progress and change over the next 30 years or so. So those are my announcements. Uh, how about you, Ben? What you got? Awesome. I just want to leave everyone with uh, connect with us. Find us on Facebook. Connect with us on Facebook. Send us a PM. Uh, comment on our stuff. Just find us. Follow the show. Stay in touch. We just we we love people. We love 
uh, your feedback. We love, we love having an impact and, um, just, that's all I got. Thanks so much to Mark Jeffrey for being on the show. It was awesome. A lot of fun. And, uh, next week, wow, we don't even know who we're having next week. So we wanted to have, a uh, an Olympic athlete or a, sorry, an Olympic coach this week. Um, and I, I, we communicated with several of them and apparently they're all busy right now. <laughs> so, so maybe we'll do that next week now that we're in touch with, with so many of them. Um, but anyway, next week's show is going to be awesome. Stay in touch, find, uh, find our shows page on, on Facebook. It's called the futurist and, uh, we'll see you all next week. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you, Ben.